Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Kristen Eichhammer. And we have a special guest in studio, Mary Margaret Olihan. Welcome, Mary Margaret. Thanks for having me, guys. So, because Virginia isn't here, we're going to have some fun. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> we miss you, Virginia. Kristen and I, on Monday, went to happy hour. Yeah. And for those not from D.C., summer in D.C. is just like all there is is happy hours. Every night, I swear, it's like another one. And to the point where it's like Thursday and you're like, oh, my God, I just want to go home and lay on my couch. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and the one we went to was amazing. Like they had these Brussels sprouts that were... $4. Yeah, $4. $4 for a big plate of Brussels sprouts. Yeah. We got wow. these chicken skewers. Mary Margaret, it was so funny. They were like these jerk chicken skewers, and they were delicious. And Kristen like had a bite, and she was like crying because they were so spicy. I started like choking. That's the and worst. Then, yeah, it was me, Lauren, and then my friend Eve, who name drop. Uh, just pointing that out, I'll have to tell her later because we're oh, talking yeah. about she the was... podcast. She wanted to be name dropped, but um, they can eat spicy food, and I think mayonnaise is spicy. So I was like dying from everything. It was awful. I can't do a spicy food either. Yeah. I think you're either a spicy food person or you're not. Yeah. And if you're not, you cry. You sweat and you feel you uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, if there's any like maybe new interns uh, here in DC, what are mm. some of your favorite DC spots for happy hour? Ooh. I mean, there are so many. Mm. I love Mission. It's a classic. It's very mm. easy to get to whether you're in Dupont or Navy Yard. But I mean, Junction has a great one too. Ooh, Junction, right yeah, here in the Junction Heritage Building. A good one. Yeah, I think Barcelona oh, Wine Bar ooh, is my favorite. Yes. They have such good wine, sangria, really good. What are those Spanish potatoes? Oh, patatas bravas. Oh, yeah, yes. so good. And so then good. what's the other one I really like? There's like really good Mexican. Oh, Santa Rosa. Ooh. Oh yeah, they have a very good happy hour. Marks on Marks. I'm yeah. really sensing a theme here. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, Ugh. potatoes were the only thing I could eat at the happy hour on Monday, I think. Yeah. Comfortably. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty, it was really funny. I was like, Kristen, just. <laughs> everything, and then after that, like everything that came out, she's like, it's this spicy. And it was literally like corn and tortilla chips. And <laughs> You cannot trust Mexican corn. That stuff can be really spicy. Yeah. <sighs> Well, Kristen, what do we have going on on Problematic Women this week? Yeah, no, up on today's Problematic Women, Title 42 is dead and gone, and migrants are surging the border as a result. We give you the eyewitness story of the repercussions of this major change in policy. Happy Police Week. Many are celebrating our men and women in blue, but some cities continue to embrace environments of lawlessness and violence. We tell you what you need to know. And finally, House Republicans held a hearing this week on the implications of the FACE Act, what will come from these hearings, and more. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Women of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. Okay, last week, our show, uh, we talked a ton about the border and so much happened between last Thursday and this Thursday. Uh, Title 42 did expire. The House did pass H.R. 2, uh, which protected the border. 
but I think most importantly, our very own Mary Margaret and uh, Tim Kennedy from the Daily Signal actually went down to El Paso to see they were actually on the border when Title 42 expired. So, Mary Margaret, I, I wanted to take a couple minutes and, uh, you know, talking to you before this, um, it sounds like it was a um, both a very informative trip, but it just really opened your eyes about the immigration issue and all the different sides of this. So before we get too deep into it, where were you guys and what was kind of the mission of the trip? We were in West Texas for our border trip. And I would just like to say, first of all, I don't cover the border normally. I'm a culture wars girl. Um, I obviously pay attention to the immigration issue because I'm an American and we pay attention to our politics. But it is not something I was super well versed in. Actually, I think Tim was a lot better versed in the issue than I was. So we go down there on Tuesday evening of last week, and Title 42 ended at midnight on Thursday. So, you know, this is a really interesting issue to cover because we literally have illegal immigrants coming across the border, and we could go and film them and use our drones to film these migrants crossing the border. But it's interesting because you got to kind of drive down the border and see Mm -hmm. if they're at this gate or if they're at that gate. Or you go downtown, you see if there's people waiting around the church to talk to you. Because right before we got there, there were migrants all over the town of El Paso, specifically by uh, Sacred Heart Catholic Church in the historic downtown. But they were cleared out before the end of Title 42, which a lot of people were comparing to when Biden, the Biden administration cleared out a lot of migrants for optics before Biden went down there. And so uh, Tim and I made use of our drone. This was all really Tim. Uh, he was awesome. We would send our drone up. I nicknamed it Beto. And, uh, <laughs> Beto. I, I, I call it Robert. <laughs> <laughs> well, Beto, Robert yeah. went up there. And uh, we would see these massive groups of migrants coming across uh, from Mexico. And they would hang out. They would sit down. Border authorities would come out. They would line them up. They, uh, some of our drone footage at night shows them all laying on the ground sleeping. They would have this big container full of their clothing next to them, their possessions. You could see people just tossing stuff in there like they weren't going to need it anymore. And um, that was that was wild. And we would hang out by that gate. We would try and talk to Border Patrol. We'd try and talk to the migrants as they were coming through the gate and getting on the buses. Um, and these big buses would pull up and the migrants would get in. And then they would be taken to processing facilities. And after that, they would kind of just be put in these shelters or different places where they could stay. And then they would decide where they were going next after they had put in their asylum claim. Or um, most of them were putting in asylum claims. But after they had gone through some sort of um, assessment process. And we did one video that you guys should check out. We went to a bus station in El Paso and asked everyone, where are you going and where are you coming from? And neither of us were Spanish speakers, so that was interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But people worked with us, and a lot of people said they were going to Denver. Some people said they were going to, one guy said Tennessee, uh, Miami. Uh, What's another one that they said? Uh, Washington, D.C. Lots of Denver. It seems like they were all going to Denver. Yeah, there was a bus to Denver, I believe at 7, and we were hanging around close to then. So that made a lot of sense. But um, they were also mostly young males that we talked to, like young teenage men, which I thought was interesting. And they were from Venezuela, uh, and none, no one spoke any English whatsoever. So that that was a cool piece we put up just to kind of show people where people were coming from and where they're going from to give a little glimpse into that. But, Lauren, I'm rambling. The question you asked was where we were. 
Yeah. And on the night that Title 42 ended, we were at what's called Gate 42. And to kind of give you a picture that there is a huge gate. And on the other side, there's a bunch of migrants. And on our side, there's a whole bunch of border authorities. And it's the middle of the night at this point. It's midnight. Uh, E.T. actually. So for us, it was um, 10 o'clock. But it's still pretty late, and there's so much dust. Uh, at one point, there was a big dust cloud, and I breathed deep, and it was oh, no. real rough. Yikes. Um, and all this, all these media are there, including some conservative reporters. There was a guy from Infowars there that was yelling some pretty crazy stuff. And uh, border authorities told me later that because of this guy and because of how close the media were, they th- they claimed that they didn't think they could safely get the migrants on the buses. So they put a truck in between us and the bus that they were loading. And then they put another one in between that truck and the bus so that we couldn't see what was happening. Thankfully, we had Beto. So so Tim sent Beto up and we got some good footage of the migrants coming across and going into the bus. Um, But you'll see a little scuffle if you look at our footage because um, a couple of the reporters were really unhappy that we were being blocked Mm -hmm. from seeing what was going on. So um, we got some good videos of that. And, yeah, then we were out there probably until it was like 3 in the morning oh, ET. Wow. wow. For us, it was I think it was like 1. But we were there for a long time. Migrants just kept coming. They kept putting them in buses and taking them away. And, um, yeah, I had never been in that mm-hmm. situation before because, obviously, we you know, we know that our borders need to be protected. Mm-hmm. If you come to our country, you should come in legally. But then you're standing there and you're looking into the eyes of a little kid that just crossed and he's super dirty and he looks really tired and he looks at you and smiles and then you might even wave because you're filming mm-hmm. and it's really sad. Uh, I had not fully understood the humanitarian crisis that's happening at the border. And I think it's really good to go and see because it helps you f- more fully understand that full picture which is that these migrants are going through really horrible things to get here. And then they do, and they're, they're being led into the country. But someone's telling them to come, and someone's easing their path, whether it's Catholic Charities or these NGOs or the smugglers that are taking them here. So it was a very enlightening trip. Uh, still processing it. We still have some footage that we need to look at and get out. But um, happy to be back and grateful to have covered it. Wow. Yeah. I was. Uh, I think I, what I was most surprised with you and Tim when you came back was that emotional component to it. And how does you know you you see the images on Fox News, you see the images on Twitter, uh, you know, all over the internet. How emotionally does that affect you and affect the way that you look at the issue of immigration? Well, it made me really sad. I think maybe as a woman too, it, it affected me. I don't know. We should ask him. (laughs) I was going to say it affected me more, but we don't know. Um, I think it uh, it was very sad Mm. to see these people coming through. There's a woman next to me on my flight with a baby and the baby was coughing and the woman was feeding her a bottle. I don't know if it was her baby. I assume so. And I was thinking this woman went through a jungle, probably. I'm guessing she was from Mm -hmm. Venezuela. So this is what the Mm -hmm. migrants told us. She probably went through a jungle. Uh, full of wild animals. Mm. She probably lay on top of a train and held on for three days, as most of the migrants we talked to with did. With a baby. With a baby. Uh, she probably endured some kind of assault from these smugglers, um, because we were told the smugglers and the cartels treat these women really badly. 
uh, my friend Jorge, who's down there, was saying that most of the women that he spoke with, because he speaks Spanish, said that they had been assaulted in some way on their way down mm-hmm. or way up. And then, you know, she she was here. She was on a flight. She made it for all intents and purposes to her. She did it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that feels like some sort of victory for her because she made it in the United States. She probably came, as they all say, for a better life. And and that is um, sad to me that she did that illegally and that um, her doing so is, is, is part of the reason that we're having such a massive problem. Like there's a huge problem here where we have this humanitarian element and we need to address all of it. But um, it, it is such a mess. And particularly those kids, they would see us when we walked that when they walked through and they, a cup, the first time they all started waving at us and smiling. Because it's probably like the only time they've ever seen a camera is like yeah. you know, somebody at their birthday party taking pictures. Yeah, they're like, oh, we're on the news. This is so exciting. Well, yeah, I think so. Tim and I debriefed after y'all got back, too. And I think one of the most alarming things or not alarming but something you just don't think about necessarily is a lot of them were wearing apple watches a lot of them had Mm. you know modern technology and i think that's kind of an interesting thing to add to the story a lot of people Mm -hmm. think that they're just i mean to your point they are going through jungles they are Mm -hmm. going through hanging onto trains but they still have access to technology Mm -hmm. which is why as much as i can empathize and feel sorry and want the best for these Um, migrants, you still have to kind of take note of the impacts that policy and messaging from the White House plays into effect Mm -hmm. when they're making these decisions. Because maybe if we had kept, you know, Title 42 in place and never teased the fact that maybe this would go away, these people wouldn't be, you know, coming here so desperately and hopeful that they can illegally migrate to America. Yeah. Um, Which is at the end of the the day, what they're doing. And Maybe they wouldn't have been put into these vulnerable situations. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be able to come here. Mm-hmm. I'm saying they should be able to do so legally and safely. Yes. And one of the problems that I've I've noticed is, you know, it takes a lot of money to get here. And I, if I was at a different, um, if I was in a different country, I think, you know, sometimes it costs thousands of dollars to complete an application to come to the U.S. And what a lot of people don't realize is the U.S. sends money to different countries to allow their citizens to then migrate here. The problem is we can do that as much as we want. And those are all taxpayer dollars. But if the countries we are sending money and assistance to misuses that, we can't control that. And then we're not putting money into the hands of those that truly need it and that are trying to come here to provide for their families, to make America a better place. We can't add to our our melting pot when governments are selfishly taking what we're giving from the taxpayer dollar. And I I just think that's what was very interesting to me, too, because a lot of people said they were seeking asylum, but for the most part, it's economic asylum. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and even um, if you're seeking asylum, it should be for religious or political persecution. That's what you're seeking asylum for. And there was one couple that Tim and I talked to where Tim, I think, specifically said, are you fleeing religious or political persecution? And they were like, no, we came here for a better Mm -hmm. life. Mm Mm-hmm. And so we were like, oh, for economic reasons. They were like, yes. Which is fair. Well, but it doesn't asylum. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. That's not asylum. So and then that was funny because we were at this um, this shelter and I said to them, I was like, okay, so or they said that they were excited to be here and follow our laws. And I was like, what would you say to the people who might say, well, you entered the country illegally? Like, are you sure you're excited to follow our laws? 
And the woman who was translating for us was was kind of taken aback. And she was like, well, they entered the country legally. They didn't enter illegally. And after we had gone through this whole asylum discussion. So a lot of misinformation down there, I think, on the process, too. And um, and that certainly isn't helping. Well, and I think it comes down to a lot of these Democrat and leftist policies, whether it's abortion or welfare. On the surface, it seems like the compassionate thing to do. You know, mm-hmm. this woman might be poor. She might not know what she's going to do with her life. Mm-hmm. So she, you know, aborts the baby so she has a better opportunity. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, this this family is struggling and so we give them money to, you know, take care of their bills. And I'm not saying that, you know, in America we should let people go hungry. But we are incentivizing these people to make this journey that is so dangerous for them to not do, to not take the route that might be you know, take a little bit longer or be a little bit more right. expensive, but the route that will keep them safe. And the Biden administration is doing this in in some sort of like weak attempt at compassion. But at the end of the day, this is not the compassionate way to do things. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. They often frame things from the uh, standpoint of compassion, like care. We love to use the word care, mm-hmm. reproductive health care, gender affirming care. Words that are used to pretend that we're showing compassion for people when we're actually taking away their agency, Mm -hmm. taking away their genitalia, taking Mm -hmm. away their baby, Mm. uh, all of that. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm sure (laughs) you were there for a long time. (laughs) And I know you guys shot so much great content. So make sure that you go on Daily Signals YouTube. We'll we'll throw a couple links up in the show notes. um, And make sure you check out Mary Margaret and Tim's reporting. So they were not up till two in the morning for nothing. (laughs) Uh, But Mary Margaret, thank you so much for sharing what you saw. And but we still have a lot of show left. So we'll be right back. Enjoying this episode of Problematic Women and searching for like-minded podcasts? Look no further than Students Over Systems, a new podcast produced by the Independent Women's Forum. Every other Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, host Ginny Gentles is joined by parents and policymakers to discuss school choice and parental rights. Schools Over Systems charts a path to a brighter future by featuring the voices of creators, advocates, and beneficiaries of education freedom. Can't wait for the next episode to drop? You can listen to past episodes at iwf.org or search for Students Over Systems Podcast in your favorite podcast app. Well, it's Police Week, and in D.C., I have definitely been stopped um, several times on Constitution Avenue just from all of the, the men and women in blue out there that are, are taken not, to the not, streets. Not, you weren't speeding, were you? No. <laughs> no, not because I was speeding. No, 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 no. definitely what I thought initially. Oh, no. should, I, should I redo that? No, you're good. <laughs> no, not because I was speeding. Um, just because there's a a lot of people that are are coming to D.C. There's a lot of legislation um, on the Hill right now that are that's focused on our police uh, men and women out there. Um, but not too far away in New York, there are protests breaking out, and actually some some people voicing out against our our well, New York's criminal justice system, specifically District Attorney Alvin Bragg's pro-crime anti-victim New York, where a 24-year-old decorated Marine veteran, Daniel Penny, now faces second-degree manslaughter charges from the DA. Um, Just to kind of unpack how we got here, on May 1st, video shows a homeless man, Jordan Neely, beginning to act erratically on an NYC subway train, harassing passengers, getting in their face, and in some instances, even getting 
too, too close to the fact that he was almost hitting them. Um, he was just being incredibly reckless. Um, eventually, this led to Daniel Penny restraining Neely in a chokehold or what some are calling a submission hold position for several minutes. And that ultimately led to Neely becoming unconscious and passing away sadly. The city medical examiner determined Neely died of strangulation and deemed the death a homicide. A few things to point out, though. Um, first, at the time, Neely was actually on K2, which is a synthetic marijuana. And I did some digging. There's actually a few common side effects, um, elevated blood pressure, unconsciousness, tremors, seizures, etc., which lead some people to speculate that maybe that played into an effect of the death, although, again, um, not entirely sure. The second-degree charge is defined as recklessly causing the death of another person in the city of New York and differs from the more serious first-degree because there was no intent to kill. I think it's also important to note that two other riders were helping Penny restrain this homeless man who actually had 42 arrests, including kidnapping of a seven-year-old and assault of a 67-year-old. Again, if you look into this man's history at all, there's plenty of footage, including ring camera footage, of Neely harassing, assaulting, and knocking out women, primarily, it's incredibly offensive. It's incredibly disgusting that he was on the street. And actually, many are saying that it was a failure by the New York City criminal justice system that this man was still on the streets, A, not receiving the help he needed, and B, continuing to be a hazard to society. So there's a lot there. Mm. <laughs> there's a lot more to unpack as well. But I think that the big question is, should Penny, the Marine decorated war vet who was restraining this homeless person, should he be up on the stand defending himself or was this self-defense? There's tons of video evidence out there. There's tons of speculation, obviously. And then there's just a lot of questions surrounding the incident. But I think what's concerning here is how this is going to impact the system in the future, how people react in public in the future. And, and I guess, like, what are your thoughts on all of this? The repercussions. Well, it really concerns me because I've seen a lot of women on social media talking about this too. This kind of incident, what looks like the best case scenario for Penny is that he saw this man acting out. He tried to subdue him. And unfortunately for Penny, the man died. I mean, I've seen some videos. We don't know exactly for sure what went down here. I've seen some videos saying that in tactical terms, Penny changed how he was holding um, the victim's head in his arm. He changed it to a more of a, uh, what do you call it, a resting grip kind of. Yeah. We don't know if that's true or not. But the fact remains that this kind of thing is going to make modern men much more worried about helping out their fellow man in this type of situation and and women too but i think men are naturally more likely to step up to people's defense to, to be heroes it actually reminds me of an interesting story i heard um, at the border where um, an authority was chatting about uh, recruits and things like that and people working for the um, border patrol and um, the authority mentioned uh, a scenario in which a young man became a nurse instead of becoming a cop and the young man's friend said to him, why'd you become a nurse if you wanted to become a cop? And the young man laughed and said, my mom said it's too dangerous. Mm. 
And I think that is very indicative of the world we live in today where men are starting to more and more avoid dangerous situations or situations that could cast them in a bad light. And that's very sad in an age where we need heroes. We need heroes now more than ever. Um, we don't have a lot of good male role models. Uh, many men are suffering from that, and their daughters eventually suffer from it too, their sons as well. Um, but this type of situation and then authorities punishing someone for it if they didn't commit that crime is not going to help with that. Yeah, and I, I think that's and, – and I don't want to get too much into – to speculating, like, is this homicide? Is it you know um, self defense? But at the end of the day, this is a direct correlation from 2020 and defunding the police. There is no reason why on a New York subway train there was no cop that was able to be there in you know the five to ten minutes this happened. That Daniel Penny was left on alone to face the situation, and while he was a marine, he is not a cop. You know, like he should have had somebody who had the authority to come in and make this decision, and he felt like he had to make this decision. So you're right, Mary Margaret. Like, people are going to see this and think, like, if I try to protect people around me, I could be made the villain in this situation. Yeah. And the way that Daniel Penny, you know, whether or not he comes out of this as, um, you know, completely free or if he gets charged, it's going to be one of the worst things that's ever happened to him. And that's what people are going to take out of the story. And exactly what we were talking about in the last segment about how Democrats and leftists kind of sugarcoat these these um, issues is like the compassionate, right? Like defunding the police is compassionate because think of all the people with mental illness that when the cops show up on the front door, they just freak out. And what they need to really need is someone just to come in, you know, a community manager to deescalate the situation. No, what these people needed was a police officer who could protect them. What what we need in our cities and in really everywhere is law and order. So people don't worry about having some drug addict on the train yelling at you because it doesn't matter if that drug addict is dangerous or not. It is scary to be a woman and have anybody yell at you, whether that's a construction worker, you know, hooting and hollering, um, yeah, catcalling you, or it's somebody on. The, and we know here in D.C., um, especially when you're stuck on that train and there's mm -hmm. no way that you get out and somebody's being erratic. You're like, I am literally a sitting duck. And oh, it's, yeah. It's scary. And it's happened to all of us, too, mm -hmm. the train situation. And, and Metro here, I think, is much better than it is in New York. I was thinking when I was hearing about this story of a time when I was running in Arlington National Cemetery mm. on that long stretch that goes towards that kind of castle-looking hill. You guys know what I'm talking mm, about? Yeah. And uh, I, was, I started walking because I was tired, and I had my headphones in. And all of a sudden, I noticed there was a man, like, right next to me. And he was walking really fast in pace with me, looking me really hard in the eye. And I was super scared scary. when I That's saw him. That's very scary. I was like, what the heck? And I hadn't heard him because of my headphones, so... We should be more wary with our music. Um, I love bone conduction headphones. For those who can afford it, they're mm -hmm. like $80, and they sit right um, – and people who are listening can't see, but I'm pointing right kind of to that bone next to your ear. And you can hear your music by the way it vibrates through that, and it keeps your ear open. Oh, cool. Interesting. So, so you can like still hear, hear your – Yeah. Interesting. Cool. I could have used those because this guy got really close, and he's staring at me, and I started walking faster. He started walking faster. I started running. He started running. Ugh. And at this point, thank God, I looked across the street, and there was a big group of soldiers running in formation on the other side of the street. So I started running across towards them. He follows me. He's chasing me. 
And this is right near the Arlington Cemetery metro stop. So he definitely came up from the metro. And thank goodness, one of these soldiers who was leading the group, I looked at them kind of frantically because I, you know, you're in the heat of the moment. You don't always think to yell or something like that. And he stopped running and looked at me and was like, are you okay?" And the man started freaking out and shouting racial slurs at this guy. And it was being really horrible. And. Thankfully, the guy distracted him, so I was able to, like, run away. And mm. then I called the police from around the corner. But I don't know what would have happened if the guy hadn't been there to stick up for yeah. me. And um, I would not want him to not do so out of fear that his life would be ruined for um, sticking up for a yeah. random woman that he saw needed help. Yeah, and I think that this is obviously, I mean, we're talking about D.C. and New York, but this is a trend we're seeing everywhere um, with just how police have been cast aside and and not funded or supported in the ways that they they need. Um, Coley Stimson is a a legal expert here at Heritage, Mm -hmm. and he just authored a book called Rogue Prosecutors, How Radical Soros Lawyers Are Destroying America's Communities. Um, I actually was able to speak with him last week, and we were just talking about how (laughs) it's funny. You know, you're walking down the street with him, and he points out eight or nine different scenarios that he comes up with in his head of a dangerous situation, like for instance, he saw a homeless man with a dog. And I'm like, oh, that dog is so cute. And his response is he's just using that as a, a way to distract you while he's going to pickpocket you. Oh and I'm gosh. like, oh, my gosh, how did you even think about that? <laughs> but it was interesting because one of his responses um, on a Fox News interview this week was that basically the criminal justice system allowed for this to happen. And he says that specifically because the man, uh, Neely, has not he was he was disturbed. He had a criminal history and he was actually on the top 50 homeless people uh, watch list. I, I'm not exactly sure if that's mm-hmm. exactly what it's called, but in New York that he was most at risk. Um, so they knew about him and they chose not to do anything. Mm-hmm. And so what he says is this is largely an issue of the system. And basically, you know, there's just this need for reform, this need to, you know, empower the police rather than defund the police. Mm-hmm. And it's quite sad that we are in this situation that was once again created by the government. Similar to the border, government created problem. This crime is a government created problem. And the cities that were not seeing violence surge in, although there are very few, are the ones that didn't actually succumb to the defund the police movement. And I don't know. I feel like I should take a moment and just thank all those police officers that have held on Mm -hmm. and are doing their due diligence every day to protect everyone. That's another thing that Coley had pointed out is they are, you know, super committed to their communities. And some have become even more committed to protecting their fellow citizens just because, you know, they do kind of have a a chip on their shoulders. So, um, yeah, just thanks to those police officers and happy police week. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we will continue to follow this story, and, um, you know, it's summer. Crime typically gets worse in the summer, so we hope that this is a isolated incident and not a trend uh, that's going to happen. So our next topic, um, maybe a little bit lighter, I don't know. <laughs> uh, on Tuesday of this week, the House uh, had a hearing on the FACE Act. The FACE Act is something that we have talked about here on Problematic One before, but in case that you are unaware of it. Mary Margaret, can you give us a 60-second explainer of what the FACE Act is? Yes. Um, I don't think most people realize what this is, which is good for me to remember because I write about it a lot. And <laughs> um, it's kind of So the FACE Act is the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act. That's why they call it FACE, this acronym. 
And basically, it prohibits anyone from blocking the entrance to an abortion clinic or any kind of like obstruction to reproductive health services, um, which is what they call abortions. Uh, It also protects pro-life pregnancy Mm. centers, which Democrats like to conveniently ignore or avoid or pretend doesn't isn't a thing. Uh, But it is it is true. It was crafted in such a way Republicans made sure it included certain phrasing so that it protected abortion clinics and pro-life pregnancy centers. So if you attack a pro-life pregnancy center, you should be prosecuted under the FACE Act by the Department of Justice. So this act must be used all the time with all the uh, pro-life pregnancy centers that have been. You would think so. (laughs) You would think so, but it has not, actually. There have been over, I think we're getting near 200 total attacks on Catholic churches and pro-life pregnancy centers since the Dobbs leak, uh, the leak that showed that Roe v. Wade would soon be overturned. That was in May 2022. And yet only four people have been charged with FACE Act violations in relation to these pro-abortion crimes against Catholic churches and pregnancy centers. And those four people were all in Florida, Mm. and they all had Antifa ties. Are we shocked? No. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, I thought Antifa doesn't exist. Uh, Yeah, what? Yeah, They call themselves anti-fascists. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Usually have pronouns in their bio, too, actually. But anyways... So this FACE Act has been weaponized against pro-lifers recently. We've seen this many times, particularly in the case of Mark Houck, the Catholic father who was arrested by the FBI early in the morning in front of his kids at gunpoint over an incident that happened several years ago that local authorities had already dismissed. And a jury found Mark not guilty of this crime, um, which was related to him pushing an abortion clinic volunteer who was harassing his son. So Mark was cleared. Uh, by local authorities, and then the DOJ came after him, and ultimately he was also cleared by a jury. So this week, Mark came to D.C. to testify, act as a witness in this hearing, examining the implications of the FACE Act. And um, with him, there was a a woman, I'm not recalling her name at the moment, from the Family Research Council. Um, There was a a woman from a pro-life pregnancy center that had been attacked. She was also a witness. And then the fourth witness uh, was this woman named Talcott Camp. Mm -hmm. And Talcott Camp was previously recorded by pro-life activist David Zelayden making some really disturbing comments about crushing baby skulls as an abortionist. Um, That was in like 2014 or 2015 when she was recorded saying that. And she, you know, of course, says they were distorted. The comments were manipulated. And during the hearing, a couple different Republican senators tried to get her to address those comments, and she would not. She said it was impossible to say whether she had actually made these comments. Um, And she wouldn't address them at all. In fact, I walked up to her afterwards because I was at the hearing, and I said, hey, can we talk about what they were saying? Because I was hoping that she would shed some light on it. And she looked at me funny, and she was like, who are you with? And then we went back and forth, and she wouldn't talk to me, and she she left. She said, reach out to the National Abortion Federation, and I did. And shockingly, they would not answer me either. So um, she was the only Democratic witness. But it was just a very interesting hearing because um, it was the first time that Mark had testified before Congress. Mm. So that was really interesting, cool to see. I think Heritage ran the full script of his remarks. Mm -hmm. So you can check it out on the Daily Signal or Heritage. And then, of course, we have our own coverage of the hearing. One particularly interesting moment 
was when I believe it was Congressman Bishop was grilling Talcott Camp, the pro-abortion witness, about why Mark was arrested for this very insignificant incident when we have all of these attacks on pro-life pregnancy centers and churches. And what was really interesting is this one Democratic congresswoman tried to say that Mark Houck had been kind of picked by the DOJ for this Face Act investigation because he was known as aggressive and he was at these protests all the time. And Congressman Bishop kind of laughed and was like, you just admitted that the DOJ was keeping an eye on him because of his pro-life work and they picked him for this. Uh, and I talked to him after the hearing yesterday and he was like, can you believe it yeah. that she said that? So whole thing was really interesting. A lot of cool stuff came to light about the um, the DOJ's handling of the FACE Act and um, just the fallout since Roe v. Wade. Yeah, and it, it really is a larger theme of the weaponization of, of government and the weaponization of these federal agencies like the Department of Justice against people who don't agree with this. I don't even want to call it in mainstream because – I would say most Americans don't support going after a pro-life father of seven. Right. No, they yeah. don't. But we know that they are doing that as a response to the overturn of Roe v. Wade because they literally said that. The associate attorney general for the Civil Rights Division, she said in December that as a response to Roe v. Wade, they are enforcing the FACE Act. And it couldn't be any plainer than that. So uh, I think we had something like 25 pro-life activists that were charged with face act violations in 2022 alone. Wow. And they didn't charge anyone in 2022 on the left pro-abortion vandals. With a record, it has to be a record, right? Vandalization of pro-life pregnancy yeah, centers? Yeah, And then, of course, you know, the Democratic um, congressmen and women that were at the hearing yesterday were trying to say, oh, well, there's been a huge spike in the, um, in the attacks on abortion clinics. But they, you know, these these studies that they're referencing are like very, um, they they are not of the exact same time frame that we're talking about for the attacks on the pregnancy centers. And these Democratic congressmen and women, they're like, oh, we condemn violence across the board. But then they won't specifically say we should catch all these perpetrators of these crimes. Mm-hmm. It's 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 honestly infuriating to sit there and listen to the carefully manipulated rhetoric because it'd be great if we could just say no one should be firebombing abortion clinics and no one should be firebombing pregnancy centers like that that probably <laughs> i saw in orlando the other day um somebody left uh decapitated animals Ew. in the uh in front of a pro-life pregnancy center oh my gosh yeah did you get pictures that's no, i wasn't there i saw it online it, they're like, like real animals yeah and the article, it was kind of funny. It was like, I was unsure if the animals were decapitated at, the, were brought decapitated or decapitated on site. Like journo but speak. Like, yeah, no. like, kind of funny. I mean, even that is like a, a threat to to a woman who is walking up to the center to see that of like. Yeah. No, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some kind of, um, there's been a, this sounds dramatic, but it's true. The Satan worshipers have gotten really excited about mm. all of this kind of thing and they, I wouldn't be surprised if they were involved in something like that, oh, if there's like dead yeah. animals involved. Some yeah. sort of ritual with them. Yeah. 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 Well, Mary Margaret, thank you for your coverage on that. Thank you. Um, you know, I know there's always something going on with, uh, it seems like a, you know, relatively wonky piece of uh, law, but it, it it's really important. Mm-hmm. So stay tight because before we end the show, we're going to crown our problematic woman of the week. And you don't want to miss who she is. Five days a week, two episode formats, 
one mission, to deliver the news you care about and analysis on the biggest issues facing America. The Daily Signal podcast brings you two episodes every day in the same podcast feed. Each morning, catch interviews with policymakers, leading experts, and conservative activists as we discuss some of the greatest challenges facing our country and offer solutions for a brighter future. And every weekday at 5 p.m., we bring you the top news of the day. These are the headlines you care about. Subscribe to the Daily Signal podcast wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss out on our morning interviews or evening news. Now it is that time once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to Laura Reese. Laura Reese is director of the Border Security and Immigration Center at Heritage Foundation. She has over 26 years of experience in immigration and homeland security, working twice at DHS on management and immigration policy and operation issues, and most recently as the acting deputy chief of staff. She also worked for Immigration Appeal and Naturalization Services during her time as counsel for the U.S. House of Representatives. So last week was probably pretty crazy for her. I think I I passed her trying to leave late at night, and she was literally in our lounge just on her computer and phone. I felt so bad, and I just kind of waved and sent her some good vibes. Well, Laura, thank you for your work on border security. It is a difficult issue, and as Mary Margaret explained earlier, it is a emotionally draining issue. So, uh, Laura really understands that and really works, um, you know, for the best of the immigrants coming into the United States, but also for the American people. So, thank you, Laura, and congratulations on being crowned our Problematic Woman of the Week. And what a great episode, you guys! Thanks for joining Problematic Woman. Yeah, no, that was great. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you do get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Have a great week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.